Hey, it's Chris. Welcome to the after party. Uh, it's kind of weird saying that. It's been a while, hasn't it? But yet here we are. And I figure, let me just start before we get into all the Apple and tech stuff. We're just telling you what's been going on. Uh, just, you know, I've been busy. It's not like I, I forgot about the podcast. Sometimes, though, I tend to bite off more than I can chew. And that has happened recently, although I'm catching back up. So if you've been paying attention on social media, you guys know that I just launched Apple Hype. Well, relaunched it, which if you forgot or if you're new around here, uh, Apple Hype in its first iteration was a website that featured three things uh, Monday through Friday. It was an app discovery, an accessory discovery, and then the one news story that I would recommend that somebody would read if they're low on time. And the idea was that it would take 20 seconds for people to read um, and get through. And that original version of Apple Hype, I think was kind of an experiment. I was just kind of figuring things out, seeing if there was any demand. And when we hit pause on it to kind of rethink what I thought it should be, then people started asking about it a lot. And they said, where did Apple Hype go? When's it coming back? What happened to it? And uh, in that way, it's kind of like the podcast because people have been doing the same thing right now. Where's the after party? Um, and by the way, thank you to everybody who is reaching out saying, when is the next episode of the after party? Because there was a lot of people. I didn't even realize that many people were paying that close attention. So it's good to hear from you guys, whatever it is, whatever the project, you know, both, you know, the critiques, uh, you know, sometimes somebody on the last video was like, you know, I think that was just too wide of an angle for me. And it was a very wide angle, but I wanted to show the entire table and just kind of, I'm experimenting with a different look. I can talk about that in a second. But I really enjoy also not just the critiques, which I don't always enjoy, but the, the positive feedback because it lets me know it's motivating. It's like, okay, people are looking for this and they're wanting this content. And so even if I'm not feeling like making something, I'm going to push it out and and get it to you guys. So so thank you for all the comments. Uh, some people were more on the concern side, like hope everything's okay. And uh, obviously everything is fine. But anyways, thanks. It feels good to be back on the mic here and, and doing the podcast. Right now I'm recording this. Uh, well, obviously the audio, but I mean like with two video cameras. So there's a couple angles. Uh, I'm shooting this in my office now, the home office. And so if you're wondering what that looks like, I know I've probably mentioned it a few times. You can go onto the YouTube channel. I think I'm just going to have the clips of this up on the Clips channel, Daily Tech Clips. Uh, I'll link it in the description. You can also search for Daily Tech Clips on YouTube and you'll find it. But, you know, that's been a process because it's been so long since we had an episode. You know, I think I mentioned a lot that we were moving, 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 and now I'm feeling more settled in. And uh, part of the process was getting the studio set up. Part of the process was getting the office kind of set up, waiting for furniture because of the pandemic, a lot of custom furniture was taking a really long time to deliver. And obviously just setting up the house and the life also, you know, it all took a lot of time, a lot of effort aside from just the business of actually sitting down in front of a camera and shooting or getting on the mic and actually talking. So I feel like the office though is actually coming along pretty well. Uh, it's maybe 80% done right now. If you're watching this on YouTube, you can see uh, the desk finally came in. Some of the stuff that I featured in that video, talking about all the stuff that I ordered. Uh, some bookshelves are here. I got some temporary shelving behind me, uh, which has the YouTube plaque on it, as well as that kinetic energy sculpture that people always ask about. I've had that thing 
since the beginning of the channel. I think since the garage set a long, long time ago. And in every video that it appears, people just always ask like, what is that? What is that? Where do I get it? And it was that thing that was featured in one of the Iron Man movies. I think it was Iron Man 2, people tell me. I don't remember. I put some plants in here. Uh, so that's cool. I'm going to try to keep those alive. But it's nice to have something green and living. And actually, I want to put more plants in here, put them all over. But this temporary shelving, that's going to go. That was from Inside Weather. And to be honest, if you watch that video where I was ordering all the, the furniture, uh, I've been kind of disappointed with Inside Weather. A few of the items were pretty decent. I liked the customizability of, of the products. That's what really drew me to Inside Weather for all this furniture. But I, I overall, I wouldn't recommend the company, honestly. Some of the stuff was damaged. Um, and so I'm supposed to have kind of a console media sideboard table back there. That thing was just trashed when it arrived. So that had to get donated and I finally got a refund. And um, I do have some of the inside weather art on the wall still. I've got another bookshelf over here from them, but uh, I gotta say, I'm a little disappointed. And I probably wouldn't recommend ordering from them, unfortunately. So when I make a follow-up video, I'll maybe go into that a little bit more. But the desk from Room and Board, very happy with that. And I have a matching kind of a C-stand uh, side table over here which is the iPad station. So if you've been watching any of the latest iPad videos on the channel, then you've noticed that I have kind of a, a cool iPad corner set up over here, uh, which is cool. I like having a break from just the desk over here and being able to go somewhere else, get a different view, and there's a different seat. Really cool chair. Oh, the, the chair is from Inside Weather, and I, I did end up liking that, although it stank like something, like uh, wood something polish or I don't know what, or is the, the fake leather or something, something stank for like weeks and it finally went away, but, but it's a comfy seat. I like it. Oh, of course I've got a HomePod mini hanging out in here. I just did that HomePod mini tips video, the follow-up video, which surprisingly I'm surprised. Like people weren't super interested in it. The first HomePod mini video I did has over 200,000 views. Like people were really into it. And I guess I just caught the wave of that initial enthusiasm because right now I dropped some really awesome tips and and just my long-term review and it's just no one's showing much interest in it. I'm really surprised because I love it. I love the HomePod Mini. So if you didn't get recommended that on YouTube, go watch it because I really had a great time making that video and I feel like there's some valuable stuff in there. I don't know if you guys can hear this. Something about being in this new area is there's a lot of construction going on but I'm just gonna have to work through it. Uh, there's houses going up all over and it's gonna be loud, it's gonna be noisy. And I'm not sure if I, you know, what the office, the studio is actually, has extra insulation and stuff to try to keep the noises out. It was custom made and built for being a YouTuber. Um, but I don't know how good this room is gonna be for rejecting all those noises. So you may hear some construction stuff. Sorry about that. Let's see, what else have I been up to? I'm just looking at some of the recent videos because somebody recently said they were astonished that I was posting something other than an iPad video. Look, I do talk about the iPad a lot. Uh, my most recent video was an iPad video, which I published today uh, with the new kind of corner desk look set up in the studio. You'll have to go see it. Um, had fun with a lot of camera angles and stuff. Just talking about what would a real pro iPad feel like to me uh, and how I kind of felt like the current iPad Pro was sort of pro in name only. But anyways, that's a whole different topic. I already told you I posted about the HomePod Mini. Uh, I talked about the 13-inch M1 MacBook Pro. 
I talked about the Apple Watch, okay? Long-term, five-year long-term thoughts on the Apple Watch. So three videos, non-iPad related, between the most recent video and the last iPad video, which was the productive iPad multitasking how-to video. And before that, I talked about some new Mac docs. Uh, then there was another iPad video, but I also talked about my favorite Mac accessories, how to make any desk setup extra worth it. That was the video talking about ordering all the stuff for this office that you can see for this podcast here. So in the last you know, 10 or 12 videos, yeah, I've mentioned the iPad um, several times, but I, I talk about everything Apple related. That's what I do here on the channel. It's the technology that I really enjoy and like and like talking about. So please don't think of Daily Tech as just an iPad channel. And I hope that if the algorithm doesn't recommend the stuff that's not iPad related, that you'll go take some time and just check out what else I've been posting. Someone is asking in the comments here, I just happened to see this while I was checking my YouTube studio app, where did I get the desk in the studio? And if you look at the latest video that I just published, you'll see the desk that is multicolored. It looks like paint splatters all over. Well, that's not the desk. Um, that desk is my old Ergonifis desk, um, but I wrapped it. I put a wrap on it, kind of like you would do a car or almost like a phone wrap skin. Uh, it was like a $70 skin that I found. I forget where. I think I've talked about this before. So if that person happens to be listening, <laughs> probably not. Uh, but if you're just curious, like it's very unusual. You never see anything else like it, especially on YouTube. I just have never seen it. Everyone goes with the straight up wood grain or like what you see here uh, with this butcher block top from this room aboard desk. So it's very different, but that's what it is. It's just a skin. So I want to go through the Apple news a little bit and just talk about some, some of the stuff that's new. Cause that's kind of what I like about this particular podcast is we can kind of shoot the breeze. Uh, it just feels like we're hanging out talking about the latest Apple stuff at the water cooler, right? I saw this article from nine to five Mac, uh, talking about the Mac SSD where is probably a far smaller problem than it appears. Well, huh. I had some people ask me about what about the SSD on that 13 inch MacBook Pro? And I hadn't run into any issues during my review time. And so I kind of wondered what was being talked about. So we're gonna dive into this and see what the issue supposedly is. Okay, so I guess the the big concern is that people had been wondering, they've been worrying, I guess I should say, that some machines might hit the rated wear limits of their soldered in SSDs in less than six months. Well, when you put it that way, that does actually sound kind of concerning. <laughs> if it's soldered in, it's not something that's gonna be easy to get out, right? Replace. And even if it's covered, you gotta take it into an Apple store. That's not fun. And six months, that is not long at all. So if that's the initial outlay, I see why people would be wondering what's going on. Oh, and you know who is stirring up uh, the hornet's nest, <laughs> as I keep reading. Uh, it says, the issue came to light last month when M1 Mac users started sharing SSD wear rates on Twitter and, big surprise, the Linus Tech Tips forums. I guess to kind of put this in a nutshell, I think the people that were being more affected or that were posting were probably more the professional Mac users because, and it, it all kind of comes down to the architecture of how Apple put everything together, but there's some shared components. And the reason that they're shared, or at least a benefit of that, is that it can make things run a little bit faster. But depending on the RAM that you have in your Mac, that could affect the wear 
on your SSD. So if you have less RAM, then your SSD is probably gonna experience more wear faster. And I guess for everybody who's like, what is he talking about? SSD just meaning solid state storage. But not only does the size of the RAM matter, also does the size of your SSD matter. So if that's smaller, it's going to be hit, it's gonna be accessed more more frequently, more often. Therefore, the article says, in an extreme example, an M1 Mac with eight gigs of RAM and 256 gigs of SSD could hit its rated wear in less than six months. So that's a, a pretty entry level, you know, base kind of configuration then. But of course, it's time to talk some sense. Oftentimes these headlines, they grab people's attention, you know, promise a big problem, and then say, well, well, wait a sec, that's probably not gonna be a big issue. And that's what we got going on right here. So uh, John Jacoby, it looks like over at Macworld, has been giving people some reassurance over the whole SSD situation. And first of all, he says it's very likely that the SSDs that people have been complaining about, talking about, probably died due to their controllers, an issue with the controllers, not the cellware, which is kind of weird because also... That's not a super common problem. The other thing he says is that manufacturers of the SSDs, so the vendors that would be used, they often give you like a smaller number for that wear rating because it has to do with the warranty. And what they're trying to do is avoid being on the hook for a longer period of time, it sounds like. But in reality, John says, they can often cope with four times as much wear as they're rated for. And this makes sense. He gives this analogy. It's kind of like a car warranty. No person in their right mind would buy a new car thinking that it would cease working in five years or 50,000 miles, but yet that's a common warranty. The thing is, with computers in general, and Apple stuff in particular, nobody wants to sit there when they're configuring a machine and say, now, I really got to account for the wear on the SSD. No. Consumers go to the website or go to the store and they just pick something out that seems like a good fit for them without having to factor in all this crazy stuff. And nor do I think that you should really think too much about it either. Uh, if, if you are about to buy an M1 Mac and you've been reading about this, you just don't, you don't have to think about it. I just don't think it needs to be a huge factor for you. Sometimes things break. I have had Apple stuff that just I've had to take back or return very rarely because uh, it's just been a great experience, you know, 99% of the time buying Apple products, but nothing's perfect, right? And it's the same thing here. You don't wanna get bogged down in the details. So, I mean, just spec the machine out like you would want it to be spec'd. So if you're a, a creative person and you're gonna do a lot of, you know, heavy duty designing or CAD stuff, or if you're a video editor like me, or if you're really into Logic Pro for music stuff, and you're gonna need more bells and whistles when it comes to, you know, internal storage uh, or RAM to handle multiple applications or do more heavy lifting, you know, then get that stuff. But if you're just worried about this SSD issue uh, and you're worried about getting the base model, I really don't think you're probably gonna have much to worry about. If you have the money to upgrade, then do. But I'm just saying, for me, I wouldn't let it keep me from ordering based on what I've now learned. Did you guys hear about this guy in New Hampshire that apparently fell through the ice? I think he was ice skating. He was doing some ice-based activity, fell through the ice, and the Apple Watch is either credited or partly credited with saving the guy's life. This is an interesting story. You hear about this from time to time with the Apple Watch, that it played some role or had a factor factored in to helping somebody in a major way. 
And I guess this will qualify. So apparently this guy was out and he was on the ice, fell through, and he's thinking to himself, what can I do here? I can't get out. It's not going to be long before I get hypothermia. And he remembers, oh, I'm wearing an Apple Watch. And he goes ahead and dials 911. And he's like, I think he told him, I have 10 minutes, you know, before I'm not going to be able to respond anymore, maybe. And they were able to get the fire department out there in five minutes, which is pretty cool. So it's interesting because you know how I'm always talking about the Apple Watch with all of its sensors and everything. It feels kind of like a type of insurance, not like insurance insurance where you take out a policy and you're protected in this or that situation. I'm not talking about that, but, um, you know, it can alert you to certain health issues, uh, for instance. So, you know, it'd be better to have the Apple Watch monitoring that stuff than to not be having it, right? If you're going to be caught in some situation that maybe you can't foresee, and who knows if you have access to your phone or not, you know, the ability to basically have a phone on your wrist when you're treading icy cold water and you can just ask Siri to make a call for you or something. That's cool. I mean, that's useful. Like this is not the first time I've read about this. There was a woman who used the emergency SOS feature in her Apple watch, uh, after she got hit by a drunk driver and was able to call for help. Now in the car situation, I think the way that she activated that was by holding down the side button for six seconds, which activates the emergency SOS. And that came to us with watch OS three. So, if you haven't taken the time to learn how that emergency SOS feature works, now you know. Hold down that side button for six seconds. Let me just try this real quick. So I'm holding it down and and yeah, it does bring up the uh, option that's to power off and then make an emergency call. So there you go. It's something worth knowing about. And of course, there's several stories of people having heart issues, noticing like an ultra high heart rate and then getting in touch with their healthcare provider who then diagnoses something. That happens. I mean, the, the Apple Watch, it's a cool thing to have. I wear it every day anyways. It's just become a natural part of my wardrobe. The only time I take it off is maybe when I'm jumping in the shower in the morning, let it charge. Uh, I charge it very briefly. This is the Series 6 before I go to bed. You know, so like that half an hour where I'm just watching some TV or reading or something, kind of cooling off before I actually fall asleep, I let it charge, stick it on, then monitor my sleep all night. Also, it acts as my silent alarm. Uh, it's just another reason not to ever take it off. Let's talk about MagSafe and wallets. Now, I haven't tried the official Apple MagSafe wallet yet. I just was never intrigued enough to actually pull the trigger. I probably should have. I saw Peter McKinnon's video on it, and he used to work with leather, and he gave it a very uh, high review. He, he had good thoughts about it. What I have tried is a wallet that's MagSafe compatible, from Moft. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Moft. Moft, they make interesting kind of like origami foldable sorts of stands and cases for iPhones, for your iPad, for your Mac even. I've done a few Moft videos over on the Daily Tech channel. But they went ahead and sent over their Moft magnetic wallet that just snaps onto the back of your phone with MagSafe. This really intrigued me. Their model is a bit different than the Apple model in that it kind of folds to become a stand, number one, and that's really useful. And actually, it can fold to be a stand vertically or horizontally, which I really like. And for the brief amount of time that I've used it, uh, I actually took it off already because the magnet just wasn't strong enough for my liking. If you're going to be putting, you know, cards in there, you don't want to lose those. 
and I felt like it just wasn't quite strong enough. But I really, really, really liked the stand functionality. So the Apple variety, that starts at 60 bucks. I think it's 59 bucks for the Apple official uh, MagSafe wallet. I think I'm gonna have to end up trying that because now I'm intrigued. The Moft version cuts that price almost in half. It's $34.99 and it also works as a stand. So it definitely has some unique capabilities, but there's one other one that's interesting that I'm aware of and I don't know, I may need to reach out and get this one tested too. It's from Labadee, I think is how you say it, L-A-B-O-D-E-T. And it's kind of the luxury option. You're not gonna believe the price on this because it looks very similar to what you would get from Apple. A slightly different design, but I mean, very, very similar. The price is $320, whoa. But you know what's different about it and what's really intriguing? <laughs> Obviously, that's not something you can just recommend to everybody because of that price, but it, it does do something a little bit different. What it does is that it's covered the back with micro suction material. So that provides extra grip on top of just that magnet. And so you don't have to just rely on the magnet with the MagSafe, you get that suction too. Now I've heard rumors that Apple's potentially thinking about making a stronger MagSafe magnet for the next version of the iPhone. And it's easy to see why. You know, this is a 700 to over a thousand dollar phone lineup here. You don't want to trust a magnet and have it fall and break or to have the opposite where you attach something like a wallet and that gets separated. There was a video going around where someone was testing it, putting it in their pants and you know, the pocket itself was separating the wallet, uh, you know, meant to kind of freak you out. Like, is this really trustworthy? If Apple did have a stronger one or if Moft somehow incorporated, you know, some suction to, to go with their version. I think I would like to do that. Uh, it would be great for me to be able to bring the phone and the wallet together everywhere. That's been a dream for a long time. I have never really liked though, the iPhone cases that have the wallet just built in to the case. I like the idea of being able to take it off and making it optional, but it's great to just have to grab that one combined item your phone and your wallet and leave. If they, and, and if they, you know, if your car ends up having the Apple key functionality, like was on, what is it? Beamer that started up with that. Then you just literally grab that one thing and head out the door. I mean, the Apple life just gets better and better. Of course, the major downside being that if you lose that one thing, that's so convenient to just grab that one thing. If you lose that one thing, you've lost like three things then, your car keys and your wallet and your phone. So. So that's bad. But then that's why you have your Apple Watch to help you locate your phone. That's one of my most used Apple Watch functions is pinging my phone because I didn't know where I put it. Oh, you know what we gotta talk about is the iPhone 12 mini. It hasn't turned out to be the hit that I think Apple thought it was gonna be and that a lot of people out there hoped that it would be. This is really too bad, I feel like. Now, did I end up going with the iPhone 12 mini? No, I didn't. Well, actually take that back. I ordered one for my wife, she has it, she loves it. And I was going to order one for me. You guys know Jonathan Morrison, uh, I think has been using one uh, over at TLD today as his main phone, the iPhone 12 mini. I'm just saying I fully intended to, when I heard about it, make that my iPhone for the year. But I think what happened was I saw what the 12 Pro Max had in the camera sensor and that ability, especially for me as a video person to shoot 
with less noise in darker situations, I had to go with that. I could not go with that. I heard the siren song of that better camera sensor and I just couldn't ignore it. So whatever the reason is, Apple's cutting their planned production for the first half of the year on the iPhone 12 mini. And I'm just wondering, is it because people don't want that small form factor actually? Because that's what you would think on the surface. Or is it something more like what has happened to me where there's just a feature on one of the other phones that you needed or wanted more, where the size just isn't even a factor. I mean, that could be a possibility. Because here's what I know, if they had made a Pro Mini, then I would have gotten it. I, I like the idea, you guys know I say it over and over again, but I never know who's watching. I like the idea of when I'm mobile, just taking the smallest, most powerful thing I can with me. I don't actually love jamming you know, this huge 12 Pro Max in the pocket. And actually I have two, cause I always have one for me and one for the business. One that's just geared towards being basically a video camera, which I use all the time. Over on the Daily Tech channel, a lot of the B-roll. Sometimes in the neighborhood of like 20% of the video footage ends up being from the 12 Pro Max, the one that's my dedicated business camera basically. But if I had the camera capabilities of the 12 Pro Max on the mini, I would have bought the mini. But I guess the one thing that we're learning is that the size uh, really wasn't that important after all. Because either number one, people just didn't want a smaller iPhone after having experienced a larger one for these last several years, or it was missing features. And if that's what it was, then the smaller size didn't outweigh the missing feature. So either way, so how drastic is the cut gonna be to production? Well, this article here from Cult of Mac says, the mildest estimate was that Apple will cut planned production by more than 70% for the six months through June. So that's major. I wonder how much the price actually factors into this because more and more, whether this is a good or bad thing, I'm and trust me, I get comments that tell me both, but a lot of people just view their phone as a status symbol. And so while some people are like, hey, $699, that's cheaper, I'm gonna save the money, that's great. Other people are like, oh, you know, that doesn't really prove that I've made it if I don't have the, the larger, the Pro or the Pro Max. Maybe that's a factor. I mean, I don't know. I suppose it could be the battery life. I mean, it's a smaller phone, it does have a smaller battery than the larger siblings. Maybe people, when they're doing their research, are like, no, battery is really important to me. and. I just can't get by with a small battery anymore. Like for years, especially tech reviewers and stuff, drummed it into people's heads like, I want a bigger battery, I want a bigger battery. iPhones will be getting thinner, thinner, thinner. Give us something a little bit thicker so we can have extra battery. And maybe people just got it in their head like, no, I need the max battery. Even though right now, I mean, you could pretty much use your phone, even the mini, like all day long without really draining it unless you're crazy with the screen time. Although, I don't know, it depends on who you are because even with the 12 Pro Max, <laughs> I often get down into low power mode. Different people are gonna have different usage scenarios, but maybe it's the battery. If you actually this year skipped the iPhone 12 mini or plan to skip it to get a different iPhone, a bigger one, let me know, like give me some insight into your thought process. Drop a comment if you're watching this on YouTube because I'm just genuinely curious, like what was it about the mini that just didn't sync? with you in your life. There was a pretty funny story that I came across recently on Apple Insider about somebody who went into a Target and found a case for the 2021 11-inch iPad Pro, apparently, supposedly. And so the person took a picture of it 
and then they went to check out because they must have realized if they're taking a picture, oh, wait, you know, you can't buy that iPad yet. That hasn't been announced. Whenever this person went to check out, there was an error message in the Target system that said this shouldn't even be available to purchase until April 4th. And so the Target employee actually said, well, this was a mistake. It shouldn't even have been placed out yet on the floor for sale. And I don't think the person was even allowed to buy it, which is a pretty funny story. I mean, what happens when somebody does something like that? Is there some kind of retribution <laughs> from a company like Apple for leaking this massive product? Or does the person get fired? I have no idea. Maybe they don't even know who put it out there. And also, like, what's going on with the employees? Are there just, like, employees just sitting on different kinds of cases and stuff for new Apple products for weeks in advance of product launches, just keeping quiet? It's interesting to me because I wish I understood the process more. Maybe if somebody works at Best Buy or Target or a similar retailer, you can drop a comment. Let me know how it works. But looking at the picture that somebody took, it was a spec case. So it's specs balance folio line. And what's interesting about the wording on the box is that it can apparently be used not just for the 11 inch iPad for 2021, which is the one I'm really interested in and just posted a video on the main channel about, but this crazy pre-release case also says it could be used on the 2020 iPad Air, which has a 10.9 inch display. So that little 0.1 apparently is, doesn't make a big enough difference to get a separate case and the 2020 11 inch iPad Pro. But what's really weird about this and makes you question whether this whole thing is legit or not is that the case said it was for a 2021 iPad and not an iPad Pro. An iPad Pro is currently the only 11 inch model of iPad. So the whole thing is just kind of weird. It doesn't make sense unless it's just cluing us in to what the future of iPads is gonna be this year. But you know, does that mean that we're just gonna get an entry level iPad that's gonna be 11 inches now instead of the 10.2 or whatever it has been traditionally? Maybe that design is trickling all the way down the iPad Pro design with the nice bezels to the entry level basic iPad that still has the forehead and chin and the button instead of face ID. Now here's something that I can tell you as somebody who works with tech products and accessory makers pretty frequently is that I have come across accessory makers, case makers who just guess and they spec stuff out sometimes just based on rumors uh, or maybe they have somehow gleaned some inside information uh, from a, a factory or something. But I've seen people confidently want to send us cases and stuff in anticipation of an event that I don't think has even been announced yet. So I really don't know after reading this whether that case manufacturer had some actual inside information from Apple about what's coming down the pipeline or if they were just guessing or hoping or if this is just a total error or a farce. I really don't know, but it's intriguing though. Someone that you should be following if you're not already on YouTube, on Instagram is Olier. Uh, I think he goes by Ultralinks on some platforms and he posted a while back a video that was his experience with Apple's official refurbished products. And I always thought that that was a good idea for a video because, you know, I'd be curious how those refurbished products work and look. And all indications from various people seem to be that official Apple refurb products are really good. Just 
very much like new, which is why I'm pretty intrigued by what Amazon's doing with their refurb Apple products. So you can buy a refurbished iPhone from Amazon, and it sounds like, from what I've seen, it's not the same kind of uh, experience in terms of just the quality of the product that you get from an official Apple refurb. I don't know if you guys saw this, but MacRumors had this article talking about Amazon's renewed devices. And actually, they must have done an influencer campaign too because I've seen a few other people posting videos about it. But what Amazon tells you is that they've been professionally inspected and tested and cleaned, (laughs) that's good, by Amazon qualified suppliers. Now, that's something interesting right there. It's not even necessarily being sold to you from Amazon directly. It's from suppliers, various third parties. So what Amazon's doing is they're having two different grades for their products. So there's renewed, that's the basic, and then renewed premium. Renewed is the cheapest option, starts at 170 bucks for an iPhone 8. So if you're looking for a budget iPhone, I mean, this has gotta be pretty compelling, 170 bucks for an iPhone 8. An iPhone 8 is a really good iPhone. Um, And that's for an iPhone 8 with 64 gigs of storage. And then, of course, renewed premium is a little bit more. How much more? Well, it kind of depends because it looks like the pricing fluctuates just a little bit. An Apple refurb of an iPhone 8 costs $339. So as low as $170 with Amazon's refurb project and $339 to get something that's officially from Apple and with the support that comes with that. Obviously, I'm talking about this because... um, things aren't perfect, and we're gonna get to that in a second, but what Amazon tells you about the renewed devices is that they don't have any visible cosmetic imperfections when held at an arm's length. That really reminds me of like when we bought a new house and we had to stand with the lights out in the middle of the room and try to see any imperfections on the walls. You couldn't go right up and inspect it. You had to be in the middle of the room. That's what this kind of reminds me of. So just that wording alone is kind of telling you don't expect perfection. You might have some issues cosmetically. Here's the other thing, it has to do with the battery. So the battery capacity will exceed 80% is what Amazon's telling you, which, mm, you know, 80%, it's a used phone. It's just uh, made to look better. It's cleaned up a little bit, but it's used and you get that used battery. Now, funnily enough with the article, They did get a charger in the box, (laughs) right? Because Apple famously ditched the charger that was included with the iPhone 12s. So you get the charger, but but they were actually sent a non-factory charger and lightning cable. So not the official cables. And here's the thing that bugs me about this. There was some hairline scratches on the screen. Not super noticeable, the article says, but likely to annoy perfectionists. Whenever I buy a brand new phone, I absolutely hate that first scratch. And for a while, when the phone's new, you kind of baby it, you take as good care as possible. But after a while, it's just kind of like routine to throw it in your pocket, throw it on the desk. And just inevitably, I end up with this kind of thing, hairline scratch or whatever. So buying one with that scratch on there already, that would drive me nuts. Not that I consider myself a perfectionist, but I just wouldn't like that. But I guess it all has to do with the budget, right? If you're just looking to save some money, maybe you broke your brand new iPhone 12 and you don't have the budget to replace it. Well, sure, getting a new one for 170 bucks, even if it's a refurb, even if it has some issues, you know, the battery's not perfect and the, cosmetically the screen's not perfect either. 
I mean, like, this is going to be useful for some people out there. Absolutely. And maybe there's a scenario where I could see myself wanting to do a quick replacement like that, too. But here's the other thing. This person actually ended up having an issue with the speaker. So they're saying the battery was actually okay, had a 90% battery capacity. But over the course of a few days, what did they hear? A noticeable cracking. Now, that's unacceptable, right? During the testing process, I don't care how cheap it is. If you're Amazon with the resources of Amazon and you're selling these renewed products, refurb products, you have to have a better testing process than to allow for crackling out of the speakers. Come on. Luckily for this person, the the speaker didn't impact the call quality. So that's good. But if you've ever had a blown speaker or uh, any kind of speaker that was broken, it'll drive you nuts. It sounds terrible. I'd rather not use it honestly, then listen with that kind of an issue. It's just not cool. Here's what I'll say about it. If you're actually considering getting a refurb from Amazon, I would rather pay extra to get it directly from Apple. Absolutely. But if you're actually considering the Amazon route or need to consider it, read the reviews. Because if you go and look, some people have ended up having worse issues than what was described in this particular article. And also just really think hard about which version, the renewed or the renewed premium you're going to get. With the basic renewed version, you have something like a 90-day return policy, and that's it. With the premium, you have a one-year satisfaction guarantee. All right, well, let's wrap it up uh, here for this week back. Uh, It's good, like I said, to be back, to connect. If you want to see the clips from this, uh, or if you just want to check out what the new office is looking like so far, then make sure to check out the Daily Tech Clips channel. Otherwise, uh, I'll plan on hopefully doing this again in a week. And in the meantime, uh, do me a favor. Go check out Apple Hype. Show me your support there. Um, If you're here, it exists for a reason. Let me just explain. It's not just like, oh, Chris has another project. No, 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 no. Um, Apple Hype is there to be the Apple filter, to curate just the fire hose of Apple-related news and launches, accessories, and apps, there's so much stuff out there, tips. Um, And so what I do is I spend a good chunk of my morning going through um, all of that stuff, sorting out like here's the stuff that I wanna save and make sure I get in front of people that's worth their time that I would like. And I curate that and present it to you in somewhere between one and two minutes. So very, very briefly. And if you're on the website, you can literally read through it in like 20 seconds. So there's a podcast. There's a video podcast, so it has its own uh, YouTube channel, and of course, the website, www.applehype.com. So go check it out. Um, I would love to connect with you guys there every day, Monday through Friday. Otherwise, stay tuned to the main channel. Uh, I got lots of exciting stuff coming up. The March event's coming up. You know I'm going to be all over it, and it does feel good to be back here with the after party as well. So I'll catch you guys in the next whatever it is that you watch or listen. Later.